What's happening? Welcome to the first season of Apples and Snakes, the podcast. I'm your host, Yomi Shode. And this season, we will be focusing on what it means to be black, British and a poet or spoken word artist. If you're interested in getting a greater insight into the journeys of some of your faves, then join us and keep listening. Saying that, if you do like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe wherever you would usually listen to your podcast and rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. So why do we need to include national voices in conversation? Well, this was the talking point. Join myself, Khadija Ibrahim, and Malaika Gagodi as we get right into it. It's an absolute pleasure. What? <laughs> to be to just be talking to two amazing folks and 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 on a topic that for the most part I feel like I'm a bit of an outsider on, you know. And I feel like there's always been energy with this over the time that I've kind of um been growing as an emerging writer and poet within the spoken word poetry scene. And it's just been, well, do you know what it is? Whether it's this case of page yeah. or stage, it's this thing of you're in London or you're just yeah. not in London. Do you know what I mean? It's almost mm-hmm. like it's, it's, it's either popping in London and anything outside of that is just like, yeah, yeah. It's just, just what it is. And I feel like that's, that's, I've been having this conversation, these two conversations kind of going side by side for a very long time. So it's very dope to actually be here and speak to both of you. I am I am speaking to Khadija Ibrahim. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I'm Malika Kagodi. Like, how are you both? How are you? Are you good? How are we feeling? Yeah, feeling good. Yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm I'm okay despite the climate that we're um, living under the circumstances. Um, I do I do not like that word lockdown. By the way. I just want to kind of uh, add that in there and, and each their own because I feel that the word, as a black woman, you know, that word lockdown almost feels yeah. that we're incarcerated. It's a, like a word association. Mm. So I like to um, think of myself as, as a writer that is on a retreat to, yeah. you know, nice. to reset <laughs> and come back again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that, and and I think well, um, Gadija will touch into that a bit more in regards to the the amazing work you've done and continue to do via digitally, like on 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 Zoom, for example, in regards to in regards to that that process of nah, we're not we're not in a lockdown situation. We're in a retreat. Yeah, and while we're in this retreat, this is how we're going to process for our own well-being, and I think that's very, very important. Um, and again, just, just, just to touch on the fact that in knowing that this is something that's happening outside of the London sphere or what have you, you know, could people even access the work you're doing if it wasn't for like Zoom? Would how would how else would they know what would be going on? Just yeah. what I mean, like, and I think this is part of that. Not so much argument, but what what I want to just talk to you both about today, just to kind of make make it make sense for the people that are kind of just so London centric in their own head to be like, mate, fam, listen, it's not just there that everything yeah. happens. You know, <laughs> things are happening on the outskirts and outside of that. And guess what? Guess, guess, double, triple, guess what? It's probably hotter than what's going on in your side. I don't don't even, I don't don't, want to force, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But firstly, you know, firstly, you know, I I grew up in that sound system movement, yeah? So sometimes I Uh. respond um, using that language of the sound system culture. So um, it's very common that, you know, born in Britain um, to Jamaican parentage, living in Leeds, grow, always grown up in Leeds and lived in other places. But I, what I've come to realise is that if the, the saying is, if you're not in London, you're not doing anything. And I actually refuse to, to um, co-sign on that because there are things. Mm. Britain is not, it's not massive. It's, it's that word great. <laughs> there is something, <laughs> there's something greater happening outside of London as well. 
you know, in all these other yeah. amazing cities. Um, I, I like to boast mm-hmm. that Leeds is the third biggest city in the UK. And some people are very surprised mm-hmm. by that, but it is. And, and especially f- for commerce and in regards to arts and culture, there are a lot of things happening here. Um, but we do have our own demons to deal with in terms of ensuring that people know that there are things happening in this city. So I'd like to think yeah. of myself as, um, why well, I use the word sound system is because I like to think of myself as someone that is alternational. <laughs> yeah. We don't say international, <laughs> we say alternational. Yeah, so that, that we're on a bigger playing field in terms of what we're doing. Yeah. And my work spans internationally as well as in the local and the national. And it's really just... Um, I guess um, changing the narrative for that London-centric mindset to venture outside of the city and find out actually what's happening. You know, I travel to Bristol, where Malika's from. I've worked in Huddersfield, Manchester, Birmingham, Gloucester, a whole range of different places. And equally there, in those places, you see some amazing artists, you know, that you really want to be able to... I guess, extend that collaboration with for the future. So there are things happening outside of London and I think things that can also enrich other artists through collaboration. Are you, are you trying to really trying to take my role here as the host you know, of this podcast? Mean, what's going never, on? What are you, what are you, what are you doing? Listen, what are you trying to do out in these streets? Do you know I what? Really it's so interesting I remember a moment, right, Yomi, when I, um, it's not when I first <laughs> met you, but in your younger days, and I've watched you grow, homeboy, you know, and you are growing amazing and you're doing some amazing <laughs> things and it's, it's wonderful and um, you, you are the right person to be hosting this podcast. But I remember with, um, and I know you're going to ask me about leading off because that's so Point, but I just want to put a little quote of in course. there, if you don't mind, of course. and also give Go room for, for Malika to express herself as well. Because you know, my love is for for the young artists to to encourage them to mm. grow and to be able to lay the the, the path for them that they can have these wonderful mm. experiences as they grow. But I remember meeting you one time, and we were in Manchester at the Slam. The word, the mm. word cup. Do mm-hmm. you remember? Mm-hmm. The word cup. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I found yeah, yeah. this little Go video on. clip, and I see. I'll see if I can send it to you. And the <laughs> the young authors will say, you know, um, Leeds young authors, where from Leeds UK, West Yorkshire, not London. And your eyes opened wide, <laughs> and you just kind of did this dip and bow and laughter, belly chest laughter. It was like, what? <laughs> but, oh. Listen, listen, don't get me heated. Do you remember that? The thing is, and I'm going to touch on, I'm going to touch on Leeds in a bit in terms of just the energy, because there was a certain energy, especially when it pertains to Slam, right? That just felt out of this world because the closest reference that I had to that kind of passion and energy was stateside in seeing how how that energy in terms of how this is a different presentation yeah. of poetry. This is how we're really going to kick into gear with this. So when I'm seeing people come with heat and I'm seeing people just, just shoot off the, off there, like, I'm like, what, what am I experiencing right now? And it was lovely because it wasn't from a landscape that I was used to. And I say landscape yeah, as I mean in London. Course. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't from that space. So whenever I even hear the slightest bit of ego bravado from folks from London, I'm like, <laughs> you don't know what heat is in store outside of yeah. your perimeters because you'd be very, 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 very shocked. Um you <sighs> You, you touched on the work you do, Khadija, but you didn't touch on the work you do. And before I, before I even ask you, I just wanted to ask Malaika mm-hmm. if you can briefly just tell us about just yourself. I know it's the, 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 the cool thing here is it's the first time I think we're having a conversation and it's also the first time that yourself and Khadija are having a conversation. So... In some ways, there's some learning already that's taking place, and and it already feels really healing in a certain degree as well. And like, and it'll be a pleasure just to just to know a bit more about about you, the work you you've done, and the work that you continue doing. If you don't mind, please. Yeah, of course, no worries. Yes, yeah, so I'm based in Bristol, um, but I grew up in Devon, 
so yeah, I'm really vibing with what you guys are saying. And I think especially uh, looking at outside of cities, I grew up in a really small town and I moved to Bristol in 2014. Mm. And that's kind of when things took off, to be honest. Uh, so since being in Bristol, I started a night called Milk Poetry, uh, which kind of we do innovative gigs we try and mix things up a bit and help people go from being sort of slammers and open micers and hopefully get them to a place where they can have sets where they can feel confident on stage mm. um we run workshops and things like that and loads of peer support and that kind of stuff so i really love the community we have here in bristol and it's really yeah. kind of picked me up and helped me out uh in addition to that i've got a couple of books published by burning eye and I have written a show called Outlier, which was, yeah, yeah, cash, <laughs> um, <laughs> which we did at the beginning of last year uh, yeah. at Bristol Vic for their ferment season. And it was, it was great. I do it with a band called Jackabol, local band. Wow. Um, it's like an autobiographical spoken word gig theatre show, which sounds very cool. And it is very cool, actually. It is, sounds awesome. <laughs> and it was commissioned uh, by Bristol Vic and everything was going really quickly. And then lockdown kind of halted everything. But at the moment, as we speak, we're sort of tentatively getting plans together to uh, start rehearsing again and hopefully put it on by the end of 2021. Touchwood, fingers crossed. Mm, uh, mm. So yeah, all sorts popping off in in Bristol. Hold tight, Vanessa Kasule, who who mm. larges up Bristol to the ends of the earth. Do you know what I mean? I feel like wherever mm. Vanessa touches, Bristol goes with her. Do you know what I mean? And 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 you need f- folks like like that and yourself, the champion, absolutely champion. Um, where 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 they're from and where where you know they right where their work is taking place and 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 where it continues to go beyond. Definitely. Um, thank yeah. you very much, um, Khadija. <laughs> um, tell us about you. Like what do I I well, I I remember visiting Leeds and you showed me around the black-owned businesses. Like- there was a road. And I'm looking at you, and you're looking at me. <laughs> I sound like I'm in the old spice side, but <laughs> look at me, look at you, look at I'm looking at you, and you're like, and I'm like, what, 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 what? Black, black owned businesses, like printers, what, food shop, dry cleaners. You're like, yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and this was even before we went to go meet the the young authors and sit in a, in a in the workshop and i believe oh my god the name the name fails me at the moment there was a back in the day there was the the racist killing of the nigerian man um oh my gosh oh, i forgot David his name Anawali. yeah that's it and you you ran a workshop this was yeah. years yeah. ago Khadija. like just to show I know that there's the there's the currently there's the can there's the energy ongoing energy in terms of the um, Black Lives Matter yeah. uprisings, and so all of this history is coming our way for us to just take in. But I'm talking something eight nine years ago, and you was talking and teaching and and running workshops off the back of the 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 atrocities and the histories that were happening yeah. in Leeds, and this was before the internet was getting on any kind of viral wave of anything. You were setting these works yeah. in place. I say that to say that for my brief visit into Leeds, you left me with with something that stayed with me for a very long time. How do you describe your work? <laughs> <laughs> how? <laughs> How 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 yeah, do you describe your um, work? And I, not so much. And, I, and in answering that, I don't want you to talk about. I actually want you to put the authors aside for yes, of peace. I just want you to talk about yeah. you, so we understand you. Of Is course, yeah? and I'm glad you said that because um, because before there was a leading officer, obviously there had to be a Khadija Ibrahim, the writer. Writer, live artist. I need sound effects. <laughs> Engineers, I need, yeah, I need, need sound some, effects, you know, because this is taking liberties. <laughs> I need something, because this is taking liberties. I need something out here. Well, yeah, go on, go, well, go, go, go. You know, like Do I was think? saying Do before think? all of that, though, you know, there's always been a Khadija Ibrahim, the artist, live artist, 
Um, that's how I like to describe myself, poet and live artist, someone who really um, investigates culture and diversity through writing and performance. I look at poetry as, as performance. I try to reimagine it as theatre. And, you know, my, my background is in theatre and performance. My MA was theatre studies, and I really studied the work of, um, of Woloshienka as, as a, a playwright mm. and also as a poet and scholar. And I was very inspired and still am very inspired by his work, but also the work of um, Augustus Bauer, you know, Theatre of the Oppressed, mm. the way in which we observe um, communities and society and how that becomes a recurring pattern through performance. And so that's mm. how I like to um, approach my work. And recently I've been looking a lot more at sound art and sound installation and asking the question, um, what happens when the poet is not present for a live performance? Can they still be present in the space? Mm. And that's possible through, uh. um, through sound art and installation. That's possible through sound walks. That's possible uh, through visual arts. And so um, I really like to describe myself as an interdisciplinary artist because before even really becoming um, a professional poet in that sense, a published poet, I, was, um, I did fashion. That's what I studied at college. I studied fashion and textiles because I was very interested in, the, mm. in where textiles came from and the narrative attached to that and how we weave those stories into garments, the sculpturing of garments and the body, body beautiful. And um, from there, I studied Arabic and Middle Eastern studies. So that thing of language and art wow. and visual arts and, and, and poetry mm. and performance, that narrative that sits beautifully on the page, but also sits on the stage. And the stage is anywhere. That's what I learned through the work of Augustus Bauer, that the stage doesn't have to be contained to a black box theatre, that um, your back mm. street your front street, the, mm. the main road, you know, um, purposely source spaces. The landscape is your theatre space for you to perform mm. and really create ideas. So that's who I am and that's what I've been trying to do for a long time. It's what I've been doing. And so my recent work over the last two years has been around um, what I call dead and wake. And that's researching mm. funerals, the important aspect of dead rites and rituals and beliefs and how those narratives have um, traveled from um, continent to continent, especially from the African continent to um, the Caribbean landscape and therefore the Windrush generation mm. to a British landscape and how that becomes part mm. and parcel of my own narrative through family and really exploring that family lineage um, in more detail. So starting from that oral culture, which is the richest culture that we can ever um, hold on to, and the way in which our parents and our grandparents and the older generation passed down stories and the importance of those stories and how those stories enrich us. And there's, I found that there was a sense of urgency to really capture those stories and do this whole thing of rewinding and coming back to create a, a soundtrack, a, a black female soundtrack for myself mm. that could then be um, shared amongst a wider community. So really exploring those dead rights, those traditions, those, those things of, you know, my, my grandmother would say when somebody dies, and there's a baby that's just been born, pass the baby over the dead body. And you'd be like a child going, eh? <laughs> you know, uh, or yeah, um, yeah, take yeah. off yeah. the buttons for the burial rites and seal up the pockets, you know, and, and mm. uh, wrap them in a particular way. And then wondering even about her, I was very fortunate to grow up with her, with my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandmother died in 1999. And she continuously talked about funerals and I thought she did that because she worked in the hospital and she was facing, facing um, death on a daily basis through people that was coming in for the accident and emergency. But what I realised is that 
what she was doing was connecting to these realms of life and death and that we don't just live on on this earth here but there's another life that we're part and parcel of and how we prepare for that but also how we connect to ancestry how we connect to soul and spirit and this this other realm of existence and that's what i'm delving into at the moment we there is a great there is a there is a there is a um, wow there was that was such a lot and I, and 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 again I, from your point Khadija kind of opened the floor to like all of us in this space really mm-hmm. that there is a huge problem if the mindset is very london centric and we miss the kind of stories that you just explained yeah. right there right and and in the same way that you know um like you touched on even vi- from via devon mm-hmm. to bristol and milk <clears throat> poetry that you know it, it the, the stories also lie in that journey <laughs> stories yeah. also lie in the collective yeah. in which you've cultivated Absolutely. over time For sure. and there is a bit there's a huge huge problem if we're just focusing on this this specific land like landscape and just being like all the poetry all the stories everything is kind of held in this context without necessarily taking into consideration oh other people are writing other mm-hmm. folks are writing um can we talk on that for a bit like because and even in talking to you in total transparency i'm constantly trying to like you know search the web or talk to different folks and being like i don't want to be just knowing about poets and this side of the waters like what what's happening what's 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 going on like you know because it then starts to become the same voices to a certain degree same tones same 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 issues in which are being dealt with and i really want to address this time in terms of just like yo how do we cut the bs and just start to kind of open yeah. up our eyes and ears yeah. a little bit more. It's tricky, isn't it? I think it's really difficult to uh, go into communities that you're not already part of. I think that's a big thing. Mm. I think quite often um, when people come into poetry, they assimilate to the voices and to the the way that we talk to each other. Mm. You know, they come into the poetry world and they're already primed and ready to share and they see how everyone else is sharing. It's okay, I'll use this language and I will talk in this way. And then eventually maybe someone will notice me and include me in this community that already exists. I think mm. uh, what's really important is is not inviting yourself into other communities, but seeing where they are and seeing whether you can, you know, connect in any way possible. Um, I recently did a workshop series in Gloucester <coughs> um, mm-hmm with uh, a group of Muslim women who were in their sort of early 40s to mid 50s. And this is a community Mm. that I didn't know at all before, you know, going into this workshop environment with them through Strike a Light, who do really great community work in in Gloucester and in the Southwest generally. And, you know, this is a community of women who, without this uh, platform, without this, like, way in, I would probably never speak to you know, mm. and uh, through doing these workshops, what really stuck out to me was how so many people don't think there's any validity in their stories or in them as being creative people or being poets. And it was just so nice to foster an environment where they began writing and they began sharing their stories. And it's like, no, you're really interesting. <laughs> You've got so much to say. <laughs> it's just for such a long time, no one's been listening. You know what I mean? and it's about kind of doing that outreach and doing that outreach because you believe in the stories rather than just because oh we need to tick outreach off of our list you know yeah that's really interesting what Malika is saying and uh, and I um and I I can totally follow through and have an, uh, an appreciation for that um but there's something quite interesting um about integration into communities wherever you find yourself mm-hmm. and the difficulty of that sometimes, you know, finding your feet, finding out um, what's happening, who's doing what. And I've often had to, um, to do that through, I guess, through commissioned work, 
that you find yourself in, a, in another mm. city. You don't really know what's happening. But there's something that you take, yeah. um, which I'm sure Malika can appreciate, there's that something that you take as, as a writer, as an artist, that is that thing of understanding and compassion. And that when mm. you enter that space, you realise you're entering a space that they've made their own. And um, you are a mm. visitor in that space. And so I think part mm-hmm. of your job is to, um, I guess, to, to help them to feel comfortable that you are also in that space and that you have something to offer. But more than anything, that they have something really interesting to give and that you're, you're happy to receive that. It's like gold, you know. Stories is like gold. Yeah, it's like, to me, stories is, stories is like being an archaeologist, you know, or an anthropologist. You're, you're digging for those stories and you're hoping at the end of that dig or part of that dig, something flourishes from it that is so rich, you know, in, in its storytelling and its diversity. Mm-hmm. And then within that richness, we appreciate the deprivation of some of the um, situations that some of these storytellers are living in. Um, But within that deprivation, there's this richness of storytelling. Isn't that interesting, though, that you were saying that you're entering a space that, and you look around and you can just tell that you're the only person in the space that's other or different. Because I'm even thinking it's one thing that I might walk into a poetry gig and um, I might just be the only black man in there. (laughs) And then on top of that, imagine if my poems now got language in there that folks just don't understand. So now there's an additional thing and and, and, an additional layer on top of on top of just kind of this thing of being the one in the space. Now I add this other thing on top, which almost separates me even more and it's almost like a f- um, fight or flight situation because I, I I have to own every part of my very being on that stage for the amount of time to know that even if you don't understand me or the reasons why I'm here, why I'm here I know yeah. why I'm here and I know mm-hmm. the truth from what I am speaking and what I'm saying yeah. and I'm going to touch on language yeah, later sure. on, but London has its own culture. London has its own kind of whatever it is, the, the, the dialects, whoever it is, blah, blah, blah. As I'm sure that the same applies in yeah. Leeds, as I'm sure that the same applies cross-board, you know, be it in Bristol, in, in, in wherever. And, and, I, and, and I say that to say the same thing, does the same thing apply with you in terms of my explanation, like you step into mm. a space, you, you really feel like you're other yeah. from what's going on. But then on top of that, you then bring, you bring your own culture into it and then, boy, you're adding on top of that. So at some point, are we talking about co- a certain type of confidence in knowing, like you were saying before, hey, listen, Leeds is the third <laughs> biggest, yeah? So I'm bringing, I'm bringing all, all that. Then some. I'm bringing all that energy <laughs> yeah. and then some, and and also Malika in regards to Bristol, it might be something in regards to Bristol that I don't know, but you know, as 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 you know, as you've grown in Bristol, you know mm-hmm. what what vim, absolute vim, comes with that energy. You'd be like, what, whatever, man. This <laughs> is this is there's a pride Ooh. right there is a pride that you bring with you and that uh-huh. and i want to talk about occupying a stage but occupying a stage not only in your own identity no occupying a stage in all of your identity and occupying the stage so loud that you're saying all right cool that's that's your flex check this on this grander level do we need is is that what it's been asked of like just generally in this kind of national talk i was thinking um about this in terms of growing up in devon um you know in devon for the most part i was the only black person in any room most of the time and so when i started going into the poetry world it was the same again um when was that that was like 2012 maybe probably even earlier than that and so when you're when you're growing up in devon and you're a black person or if you're other in any way in a very, very white space, you just get so used to being the, the only person in the room who's like that. 
and mm. so you try it you try on lots of different personas and you try and sometimes live up to the stereotypes people might think of you or expect of you you're really struggling a lot and trying on different guises to try and make sense of who you are on stage in a way that maybe people in cities don't because they always have at least one other person who looks like them or comes from a similar background to them um <clears throat> so it wasn't really until I came to Bristol that I settled into who it was that I wanted to be as an artist because I had mm. no idea really at all and I was like okay I'm I'm coming into poetry gigs in Devon as the only black person so I'm gonna either rally against that or I'm like oh but they might be expecting me to be like street poet <laughs> so mm. I'm gonna like assimilate to uh, sort of more Def Jam stuff and it's like mm. that's not really me that's not where it, where I'm coming from and it wasn't until I was in Bristol and just a little bit more relaxed in who I was and that wasn't just through poetry that was just through you know being in a different environment where I was a lot happier where I'm like okay I can get on stage I can be entirely myself have influences from rap but also have influences from folk music you know from rock mm. music and all of that stuff is valid and not questioned in the same way I think mm. something that I really really felt in Devon was that when I stood up on a stage people expected me to come out and do some rap and I was like, ah, oh, am I disappointing people? Are they mad? <laughs> this is Devon. This is Devon. Do you know what I mean? Like, people would introduce me as that. They'd be like, oh, so do you do you like rap? It's like, oh yeah, but I'm I'm coming up and I'm doing a completely different thing. Oh, and wow. yeah, being in Bristol and finding what my language was and being really proud of that and strong in that and knowing that I can be measured and I can have all these different influences. And no one's going to expect things from me in the same way they did in Devon. I think that's where I found my power and my voice. And I'm just so, yeah, I was thinking about this the other day, especially in regards to the show that I'm doing, Outlier, where it's like I finally have found my voice and there's so many different influences there and there's strength in the quiet and there's strength in the rhythm. There's also strength in any literary effects that I've got. And that didn't really happen until I moved into Bristol. But now I look at Devon and I'm quite far removed. All my family have moved from Devon now as well. So there's very little sort of tethering me to there. But when I have gone back in recent years, just seeing more of a variety of voices, more of a variety of races, ethnicities, backgrounds, class, I'm like, oh, that's amazing because I never knew who I was there. <laughs> mm. And I think it's really valuable to be able to embrace all the different things that inspire you and present that on stage confidently, which I just didn't have. That's, that's really interesting because I guess um, coming from Leeds, Leeds is very diverse. However, I, um, mm. I, my high school was all white and I believe from my memory that there was two black girls in the whole of the school and I was I was one of the two and so um, from a very young age I've had to um, really try to figure out how I navigate landscape as a black woman firstly as a, as a black girl finding confidence and understanding that thing of belonging and having rights to be in a space. And you, you, you tend to take that through your adulthood. But I think through the years of experience, and just going back to having these, these two wonderful grandparents and parents and family who were very radical. You know, my grandparents were those early radical um, thinkers. They, they were part of a, a group called the Brotherhood. And so they marched for rights, you know, mm. and we grew up understanding identity of who we was, was very important. And so coming from that kind of Jamaican household, yes, it was a Jamaican household, but it was an African Jamaican household because the, the narrative was that you, you know, your, your um, heritage, your identity is African. And I guess that didn't really matter to some of the children, but that really mattered to my family at that time. So I always grew up with that, that yeah. confidence that uh, the African continent is really where my ancestry belongs. And it's so rich, it's so beautiful. 
And there's something about that, and, and there's something about that Caribbean landscape that enriches me. And so when I write, I, that's, that's where I write for my rights from that place. When I'm in a space where um, I feel like I'm the only one that looks like me, I enter that space mm. with that subconsciousness of belonging and rights. And, and it's taken years mm. to, to get to that place. It, I didn't wake up one morning and say, I belong. It took me a number of years after hearing at school that I didn't belong. And I ought to get back to um, where I came from. And these were questions that I would go home and ask, where is it that I came from? What, what is this banana boat that I should be getting back onto? You know, and what are all these names yeah. that I'm being called in school? And why, I, why am I being called those names? And um, as a young child, Roots had come on TV as well before going into mm-hmm. high school. So I got a sense of what was being said in terms of race and racism, but I couldn't comprehend all of it at that time. It's something that I've grown mm-hmm. into understanding. And so I've come to a point where I, um, I feel that whenever I enter a space and whenever I'm going to perform, I'm not going to explain and justify. Although I do sometimes do a disclaimer on some of my <laughs> poems, because I might say, actually, this I'm using nation language here, the language of Jamaica, you know. And uh, so I do mm. sometimes say that because I know the audience may not be able to tune in automatically to some of the things that I'm saying and they ought to be able to be given some kind of Mm. explanation, but I don't explain too much. But there's this thing about how we occupy space, you know, and how Mm. um, black bodies occupy those spaces and, and the right to be in those spaces. And I think once you come to the conclusion that um, you have a right and you do belong and you have ownership of something of that space, you know, then I think you eventually, that subconsciousness, just going back to that thing of spirit and consciousness and and having those conversations with self. And they are difficult conversations that you want to have with yourself before you enter a space which builds your confidence. I think every day is a a meditation for me. Every day is is a sense of affirmations, of... um, you have rights, you belong. Um, even, even saying to yourself, you know, you are beautiful, you, you, you can write poems, you know, and even when I'm in that place of stuck, where the poem, where I'm cussing down the computer, <laughs> yeah, because I'm blaming the computer because the words won't come out and it's nothing to do with the computer. This is about releasing oneself and finding oneself in a comfortable place of, uh, of knowing that everything that you do can only get better through practice. And so my work speaks to me in that way, and I hope that my work also speaks to a broader audience about those difficult conversations. Um, But also in those difficult conversations, there is playfulness, there is is banter, Mm. you know, there there is joy, Mm. there is laughter, Mm. because we need all of those things, the seriousness, but also the play and banter in the work. So I try to to, to do the, all of those things. There's the balance. The balance and yeah. um, just on that, with the balance, um, Malaika, do you have a poem? Mm-hmm. Do you have a poem yeah, to share with us as part of this, 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 this balance and good vibes? <laughs> of course, yeah, I do <laughs> have a poem. Um, yeah, so it's a poem called Legacy. And uh, so every year we have St Paul's Carnival in Bristol and it's just a great, uh, a great example of what Bristol can be. You know, you get people from all over Bristol come to St Paul's and just have an amazing time. Uh, but last year we weren't able to do that, obviously. But they they did a online carnival, mm. virtual carnival. Loads of discussions, like music and stuff, were shared. And I got this commission um, from St Paul's Carnival Committee and from Trinity Centre. Uh, to write a poem for some of the Windrush elders who live in Bristol. So it was a big, it was a big ask. I was like, oh, that's, that's a lot. Um, (laughs) But I, I, I was really 
you know, thankful to be given the opportunity. And this poem was printed off and uh, delivered with some lunch to some of the elders down in St Paul's. It's really lush to see. And you know, stress as well because the elders, when they, when they have their eyes on you, they be like, "Yeah, you're talking about us, yeah." yeah. Is that it? on? Is it? All right, cool. Yeah. Let me just sit back and just let me just enjoy this juice. So let me listen. Yeah. Let me listen intently. Let me exactly. Delivered <laughs> <laughs> to them in little little lunch boxes. Um, so yeah, it's called Legacy. Legacy is about movement. The pavement jittering with bass, coils of hair and loops of hips, the smell of smoke and allspice. All these things are alive, moving, carried from home and shared. When you make journeys like they have done, dock to dock to dock, spilling names in the water, watching spirit crash against waves, legacy becomes an heirloom. It breathes. Place your hand on its rising, feel its warmth radiate up through your body. This is the heat of the elders who made homes out of fractured promises, who built culture in the face of displacement. We don't need to imagine travesties. This history is not trapped in books. It is not gathering dust. This inheritance moves in the streets we walk through. It frames the things we love, the music that cradles us, the eyes that we meet each day. In St Paul's, music and heat prickle. Our senses merge, meld into something new and ancient, instinctual as sun patterns on water. We lean on each other's window sills, feed one another. We talk and we share and we move. We are the connection. Babies on shoulders, grand selling red stripe in the garden, girls in feathers guarding portaloos, shrieks and sun and cinnamon in the air. Here is where our hands meet. Here is where our history combines into the glory of home. Sun kissed, even when it rains. United, even when apart, legacy, it's about movement. It's about bodies coming together, voices being heard, and a peaceful knowing that this is where we belong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I need sound effects. I need sound effects so bad. You I need to add them in. I'm vexed. Yeah. I need to add something in. Engineer need to add something in somewhere. Trust me. I um there is I can I can I oh man. You know, I was listening to Nee Parks read, um, and I was saying same thing I was saying to him, I'll say here in terms of just the the weight in which we actually read our words is is so crucial and it's so important to absolutely let it sit not only in us as as the people that are performing the work but also in terms of how it's internalized as well and in me i'm a geek like i'll geek out so even in your in your diction uh, you said smoke and you actually left it to the Mm -hmm. at the end How's that, yo? (laughs) (laughs) hey and then then you just go with the heirlooms and i'm just like can you let you left that room just to breathe a little and I'm just like there is such importance in 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 the writer to actually sink into their work in the same way that they would expect people to also sink into their work a legacy for the most part and just yeah. touching on legacy I suppose in both of your worlds you're creating your own legacies um milk poetry lead young authors um and I just want to, I want to know more about milk poetry. I want to know more about that legacy that is that, you know, why, 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 why milk poetry for the most part? What is it about this that you want to cultivate in terms of a legacy to something that for the most part, one day you might wake up and be like, nah, no, I didn't know more, you know? <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. it's got a life yeah. of its own. It can, it yeah. can, and isn't that the that's that's the mm. dream? It's almost like you can just leave something and just watch it grow and just be like. There are nights that I've ran like um, boxed in events, for example, and the team, like with Sean Armina, 
Cecilia, Abu, and they were all there. We're a family. Do you know what I mean? And then mm. after after we've host after we've run the night, I'm like, yeah. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, that's so nice. It's so nice to see something mm. just yeah. living that you yeah you kind of you got it going, and then it's like yeah, cool. Did it? It's interesting that you say that, um, Yomi, because um, that's where I, it's where I found myself with Leading Authors. Um, you know, I set that up in 2003. I actually set it up in 2001 and named wow. it in 2003 as Leading Authors. And um, by mm. 2004... They, uh, I'd taken them to the United States for um, the Brave New Voices. At that point, it was Brave New Voices mm. National Slam um, in the United States. And we, at that point, were the first international team to touch down in LA and be part of that slam um, festival. They, um, they'd never received um, a slam team outside of the US at that point to compete. And so we were the first to do that. I should say the young people were the first to do that. And that started off as, yeah, I'm just going to run some workshops because I really want to give back to the community. I graduated mm. in 2001 and I really, at that point, I really wanted to take my poetry more serious. And in the meantime, while I was doing the, going to these workshops, in fact, some of my early workshops that I was going to were Apple and Snakes workshops held in, um, mm. held in Manchester um, at that point. And I really wanted to have that experience of attending workshops for myself and really trying to build on my own craft as a writer, but also meet of mm. other poets. And then part of that was also, if I could share my experience with young people, what I'm experiencing, <laughs> then they wouldn't have to, because I feel like I'm a late developer in yeah. the poetry scene, you know. Um, mm. They wouldn't have to wait till they got to my age to experience this. They could experience it from a very young age. So let me deliver these workshops. Mm. And it started off with an idea of just once a week deli delivering these workshops and then every half term I'd deliver these workshops. And then going off to um, Chicago, been invited to Chicago to um, to kind of look at what was happening um, there with Peter Kahn. Though having that experience mm. and coming back and going, you know, this would be amazing if these young people I'm working with could go to America. And there was an invitation that landed in an email. Can you get a team together? Yeah. And at that point, I really didn't understand what SLAM was. Yeah, I didn't know the yeah. rules or anything. And we actually held our first slam with hardly any rules. <laughs> so I just get up on the stage and Bad. just read a poem. And we'll just, just, and we'll just, just pick some judges it. from the audience and you just mark them out of 10. <laughs> we really didn't have any rules about people going over time <laughs> or anything like that. And then we picked a team and went off to the United States with no Arts Council funding, no nothing. It was just me wow. trying to get donations and stuff and so getting up going to the united states going to la at that point and having no and then reading all these rules and having no idea what this was all about and whether or not these young people who at that time were into and i always get it wrong you know the kids always correct me it was okay they were listening to the so solid crew <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it. They, that's what that's they were it. listening to. It's, it's, you know what I'm that's saying? It. That's, that was the foundation was the for some of them then. Yeah. Even me. It was the foundation yeah. for me. Like, if I'm to yeah. be perfectly honest, to some degree, that was, it was part, part of the journey. journey. They were listening to rap coming out of the United States. There was this early rap movement happening in Britain where, where a lot of those rappers were saying, actually, we're, we're creating our own form of rap, which is more Brit black British rap as opposed to American rap. Mm -hmm. So they were coming from that, yeah, this whole grime culture. And I was like, right, let's put that into a poetry. Let's look at how this, if we start to slow things and play with sounds and delivery, what we could do to create a team. And so that's what we went with. Yeah. And um, no timing, no nothing. <laughs> Just get them on the stage. And they really did, they didn't win anything, but they stood out because of how they were delivering their poetry. And so I learned a lot mm -hmm. from the United States um, how to really prepare young people to be in that space for SLAM. And I, what I was finding in Britain, as much as people were de delivering SLAM, and I 
became really good friends with Joel Taylor, Slam Ambassadors, and I was listening mm. to what people was doing. And I thought this thing about Slam is not just about delivering a poem. There's a style. Mm. There's an energy. And that's what sets it aside from any old poetry reading, you know, and mm-hmm. that we were going to drive through this style and but it should be their own style. It should be the, how they wanted to deliver it. And we really touched on... Um, delicate topics and I think that's what made them stand out whenever they would then compete in the UK but after many years of competing and delivering workshops and really exploring poetry on different formats and inviting people like knee parks and Courtney Newland were coming into our workshop. We're looking at styles of writing. Dorothea Smart, Jacob mm. Ross. You know, we had some amazing people come um, to Leeds and and just really work with us on style and form. After, because it's about seventeen years, sixteen, seventeen years, wow. you have to say leave that, leave that right there, leave that right there, because that's mm. seventeen years of you pumping in energy. And watching these young people grow. And there's a point where you could see they found their own feet and they were becoming mm. independent artists within their own right, where they no longer required any guidance from me or any guidance from um, people that was coming into the space. They only required guidance when they would ask for it and that they were finding yeah. writing and performance and journalism and theatre. They were, they were, they were um unearthing these 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 aspects of art and becoming independent artists freelance artists and doing amazing things and i've watched them grow so we've got the people of like the likes of zodo and naomi great poet but also playwright that's recently gone into film and Mm -hmm. radio and tv you know and winning awards Mm. and just being so Mm. successful the jamal gerald's people like that kadish morris working as a journalist um, for The Observer, you know, and really bringing poetry to the forefront when she's writing these articles for The Guardian and The Observer. And just watching yeah. the magic of that. And some of them have gone off to the States and they're, they're independent artists working in the US. You no longer, I thought I no longer needed to be in charge of any of that. They were in, they were in yeah. charge and... I could let it go, but I needed to let it go because what was what happened yeah. is I was Khadija Ibrahim, the mentor, the director for Legion Arthurs. I was not Khadija Ibrahim, the poet, the artist. All right, folks, ha, we've reached the end of part one of this conversation. Join us for part two in the next episode of Apples and Snakes, the podcast. I've been your host, Yomi Shode. And I hope you've enjoyed today's deep dive into the lives of black British poets and creatives. Big ups to audio producer Drew Hawley at The Lab Studios. If you want to find out more about Apples and Snakes, head over to www.applesandsnakes.org and follow Apples and Snakes on all social media channels. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, please, please, please subscribe wherever you would usually listen to your podcast and rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.